help us familiarize ourselves with, learn the Bible a little better, um, just have a better understanding of what the Word says, we decided that the next book we would go through would be the book of Philippians. So if you will turn to chapter 1 of Philippians, that's what we're going to take a look at today. Now, don't think that uh, it is up to just the four, just us elders, to, to be up here on these Sundays. Anytime any of you have a fit of inspiration or something that you <laughs> you want to share with us, come talk to us. We'd be glad to talk to you. I'm happy to give you time here. Also, uh, we were real happy to hear from Greg a couple weeks ago, and hope to again before long. Uh, Chris shared with us last Sunday, so anytime anyone has testimony, um, some scripture that really inspires or leads you to have something to share with us, we really want to hear from you. So I'm serious about coming and talking to us, and we'll see what we can do about that, about getting scheduled. So before we begin in uh, Philippians this morning, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that we can gather here this morning, and uh, as we look into your word, Lord, it's always a time of listening, uh, a time of reading, and um, just seeing what it is that you have for us to learn today. So we just pray your blessing on our time together, and uh, pray that you would speak to us in a way that is new to us, uh, that we would read something here this morning that is... um, teaching, uplifting, and helpful in our lives from day to day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to go through the, I'm going to read through the first chapter of Philippians today. And so, uh, as we go through that, that there are four chapters in Philippians. Uh, the last time we did this, John and I, we took two chapters in Second Timothy. And we thought, well, you know, we can actually spread it out a little bit more than that. So there are four chapters in Philippians, so that gives us um, four different times uh, to look at this book, to go through this. Now, Philippians is a very very interesting book. It's a very informative book. And um, if you, I would really encourage you to, at some point today, after lunch, before lunch, whatever, read Acts chapter 16. Uh, Acts chapter 16 tells how the church at Philippi was established, how it got started. There was kind of some supernatural things that even led to Paul being there to actually get the church established and get the early church in in, uh, Philippi started. Philippi itself was a very interesting town, very interesting city. A guy by the name Philip of Macedon founded, and, and the town, the city was named after him. And, of course, it was in the province or the territory of Macedonia. So this Philip of Macedon established this city of Philippi, and he had a son named Alexander. Well, as Alexander um, grew into his teenage years and started chasing his wild oats, he ended up conquering the world. He came to be known as Alexander the Great. Now, if you think back to um, to the book of Daniel and uh, the uh, vision that Daniel trans or that Daniel interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. You know, as you go down through the, the different stages of this, of this uh, vision, this idol that Nebuchadnezzar saw, when you get down, you get the, uh, the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians, 
and then the Greeks, which is Alexander, and then after that comes the Romans, comes the Roman Empire. Well, so we have progressed as far enough through history now that Alexander rose to greatness. Uh, he died at the age of 33, weeping that there were no more worlds to conquer. And so when he died, his empire was divided into four pieces. Uh, his four generals each took, a, each took a section, each took a chunk of the empire. And it wasn't long before that crumbled. I say not long, but over a period of about 150 years, 100 years or so, that all fell apart. So by the time uh, Jesus is on earth with his ministry, and now here comes Paul establishing the church, and he's traveling around on these missionary journeys, by that time, Philippi is under Roman rule, under Roman control. Now, uh, if you look at a map, Philippi is um, up on the... Um, on the kind of to the northeast part of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, there's a there's a leg of ocean that goes up through there called the Aegean Sea, and across that is the country of Italy. Well, of course, that's where Rome is. Well, from Rome to Philippi is a distance of 700 miles, and of course, the fastest way is across the Aegean Sea by ship. But 700 miles, even in today's travel, that's a distance, and in that time, you know, 700 miles. It would take a long time to make that trip. So what was unusual about this is that the citizens of Philippi were actual Roman citizens. Well, that, that was not usual for that time. That was not the way the Roman Empire operated. Most of these outlying provinces, they were subjects. They were being ruled by the Roman Empire, but not so in Philippi. These people, these, the citizens, were actually citizens of Rome. Well, the reason that was was when the Roman army was on the march out conquering these outlying territories. They came to Philippi, and they ran out of salt. Well, what's so unusual about that? Well, the Roman soldiers, they were paid their wages in salt. Every week or every month or however, whenever payday rolled around, they were given a bag of salt, and that was their wages. Well, the Roman army, the, the administrators, the rulers, the paymasters, whatever you want to call them, they ran out of salt. And the soldiers were about ready to rebel, say, well, I'm going back home. I'm going back to Rome. I'm not putting up with this. The people in the city of Philippi, the citizens, got together and said, we would rather be ruled by the Romans than by the Macedonians. They gathered up all the salt they could find, took it to the Roman masters. The Roman masters had enough salt to pay the soldiers. The Roman soldiers went ahead, chased out the Macedonian army, and so Philippi uh, came under Roman rule. Well, because of that, because the citizenry had assisted the Romans in taking control of the city, then the Roman government, the Roman Empire, said, okay, these people are full-fledged Roman citizens. And that gave them privileges that most other people under the, under the control of the Roman Empire did not enjoy. So when Paul came to Philippi, and if you'll read Acts 16, you'll find out that that's kind of a supernatural way that, that that happened anyway. But as he got there, Paul himself was a Roman citizen. So there was a lot of things going on here in Philippi that, um, that were kind of unusual for some of, the, some of the events and happenings in the early church. Now, you will notice that Paul, uh, this letter to the Philippians, this is one of the prison epistles. Uh, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And as we read through this first chapter here, we're going to come across uh, a, a few verses, a few phrases that illustrate what, what was going on with this and what that meant. But 
Uh, many Bible scholars will tell you that this was Paul's favorite church. As, as he traveled around his three, four missionary journeys, all the parts of the world he saw, all the places he went and established church, uh, churches, uh, got the early church off the ground, got it up and going, this was his favorite place. And um, that kind of becomes evident in this letter to, to some degree. Now, I, I would have to say that, you know, not every scholar would, would thump his fist on the table and say, oh, yeah. But there was, but Philip, I mean, Paul did have a soft spot in his heart for the church at Philippians. And that becomes pretty evident as he goes through the greeting here. Okay, I'll shut up and start reading now. Okay, so we start out here, uh, the first verse. Now, remember, Paul is in prison, but it is a kind of a house imprisonment. But he is chained to a Roman soldier. He's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And this guard changes every six hours. So every six hours, Paul gets to witness to or testify to or preach to a different Roman soldier. So, so that's, that's what the terms of his, of his imprisonment are. Okay, so he starts out here at the beginning. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Now, he says, with the overseers and deacons, this church has been established long enough that mature people have risen up to establish themselves or to be chosen as leaders. Now, you know, I've, we've talked about this several times uh, the, in the early church. You know, we come to church on Sunday morning. Here we are, a group of us sitting in this room. That's not what the early church was. The early church was, was basically home churches. Two or three families would gather together, uh, with you know, share with whatever they could. They didn't have a Bible that they could pick up and read out of. So whatever teachings they had, whatever witnessing they could do to one another, they could tell about how I talked to this person about Jesus Christ, and somebody else said, oh, yeah, somebody came to me and said they had word from somebody off in another town or whatever. That's what the early church was. It was, it was uh, people gathering in homes, gathering in small groups, and sharing with one another and talking about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, this had gone on long enough. Uh, there were enough house churches, uh, the churches getting big enough, that they saw a need for, uh, in, in my Bible, it's termed overseers and deacons. Uh, depending on the translation, you may, it may say elders, it may say shepherds, depending on what it says. But they saw and recognized and were calling out leaders. So when Paul's writing this letter, not only is he greeting all the believers, but he's also greeting the overseers and deacons, the leaders of these churches. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we get to verse about 3 through uh, 6 here, and it's pretty evident that Paul has a soft spot for these people. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And if you read Acts 16, you will find that first day is when he met a lady called Lydia by the river. That's the first day he was there. Uh, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about this some in Sunday school this morning. Uh, we're in, over in, across the way here in Sunday school, we're in Ephesians. So you turn back one page in your Bible, there's Ephesians. Now, here we are in Philippians. And it was real hard for me this morning to keep from running these two books together. I had to separate. I said, no, 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 we're talking about Ephesians. But in Ephesians, we were talking about... Uh, some of the things, some of the sins we deal with in this physical life, some of the struggles that we have to put up with, some of the, some of the things that we fall into and have to be forgiven of and brought back to 
fellowship in the Spirit. But basically what he's saying here is, you're going to have to deal with these things your whole life. You live in a physical, sinful, broken world. Uh, these, these things, um, you know, these, these, the people around you, the sins you fall into, you are a work in progress. You will be complete on the day of Jesus Christ. Okay? That, that, that's the case for all of us. We're not going to get it right. We're going to keep working at it. We're going to keep having these problems. We're going to keep coming back to Christ. We're going to be made whole in the Spirit. And we will be made complete on the day of Jesus Christ. Well, what's the day of Jesus Christ? It's the second coming. When he comes again, we will be made complete. And Paul's telling this, these people this in Philippi. He's telling them that 2,000 years ago. It's still the same way today. We will be made complete on the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Okay? We're all partakers of grace. We all have this gift of grace that God has given us through the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. We're all in this together. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So here it is, this, this affection for these people in Philippi here is coming out here. Um, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay? This is how it's because of, uh, it's because of Christ that you can be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, back up there a few verses. You're not going to get it right all the time. You're a work in progress, and you're going to be made complete the day that Jesus comes back. So that's, that's the message that he has for him here. This is what we all deal with. And it's just as true today as it was when he wrote this all these years ago. But we will be made complete on the day of Jesus Christ. And and he says we're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, go on to verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to him? He's a prisoner. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. So he, here he is in prison, and you would think, oh, man, that's really going to cramp his style. He's not going to be able to get around and start these churches and minister to people and tell them about Jesus. No. He said, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And if you, uh, if you uh, read through Acts 16, you, you know, there's real fine examples of that, what's, what goes on with the jailer and so forth and so on. So I really encourage you to read that. So he said, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it, so that it has become known throughout, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. My imprisonment has advanced the cause of Christ. Okay? Well, boy, if the least little thing happens to me, I get all bent out of shape because, oh, man, now I can't do this or that or the other. No, it doesn't matter what your situation is. You can still advance the cause of Christ. And I think that's a pretty important lesson for all of us that we probably should heed a little better than we do. Um, Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Okay, because of Paul's example, some of the other believers here are able to speak the word in, you know, much more boldly um, uh, without fear. Now, verses 15 and 16 here, uh, this is something we need to pay attention to. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, the ones doing it out of goodwill, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the ones preaching out of envy and rivalry, uh, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They're thinking, basically, they're going to go out here and steal Paul's thunder. You know, they're going to do this. They're going to, they're going to preach Christ. They're going to grow the church. It's going to be for their own profit and gain. It's going to be for their own glory. Okay? And, that's, and, and Paul's on to him. He knows what's going on here. But he says, verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Basically, he's saying, I don't care how Christ is preached. I just want Christ to be preached. So that's a pretty good lesson for us, I think. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I didn't do a very good job of explaining or telling, or I wasn't a very good example in the way I live. Uh, the actions I took when that person did this to me was not very good. But if you have proclaimed Christ, you did okay. Don't really matter. Paul says, I don't really care how he's preached, just so he's preached. So there, there's a lesson there for all of us. Uh, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, here, here's the key verse for chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay, now we've got we to gotta stop and think about that. You've got to let that roll around your head a while. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Hmm. You know, is my life really an example of living for Christ? Well, I'd have to back up and say, well, probably not. Not what it should be. You know, it could be better. But that's what we talked about here a little earlier. We're a work in progress. Don't don't sweat what I did or didn't do in the back and in, in the past. What's important is how do I take it, what I do from now on? How do I act in the future? That's what we have to be concerned about. Because as a work in progress, you know, the, the goal here is improvement, moving up the scale, doing better. And we will be made complete in the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying here, you know, if I finally get to the day where I die, the day where I come to Christ, the day where I meet Christ face to face, that's gain. That's what I want. That's what I'm striving for. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Well, in, in, our, in our physicalness, in our physical being, in this life we live, we fight dying just as hard as we can. We want to live just as long as we can. Well, that's, that's a natural human tendency. That is the, uh, you know, the, the, just the, the, the way we normally do that, the way that's natural to us, to cling to life. But when you have time to stop and think quietly about that, then you come to see, yeah, you know, really, what, what, what I'm going for here 
It's when I go on. It's when I come face to face with Christ. That's what is gain. That's what I strive for. And, you know, as I think it kind of has that these things kind of come as you get a little older. You start thinking about that a little more and you start to say, yeah, you know, it, it, it is better off. I am. I will be better off when I get there. So that's the kind of thing that kind of goes through your mind as you read this verse and as you think about that a little bit. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he goes on to say here, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Basically, Paul's sitting here saying, I can't decide whether to live or die. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And, and he kind of weighs out his argument here. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. To die is gain. To be with Christ is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It's better I stay in the flesh and be the teacher, the preacher, uh, the evangelist to you. Spread the word of Jesus. Help the church grow. That's more beneficial for you if I stay in the flesh. Okay? So now, what about me? Am I more beneficial to the people around me if I stay in the flesh? Or would the people around me better be better off if I was gone? That's kind of a tough question, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, if he's gone, we'd all be better off. That's, that's not really uh, an attitude that you want people to have about you. But that's what Paul is wrestling with here. He's saying, I can't decide if it's better for me to stay here and instruct you in, in the things of Christ or if, if better for me to go on and to be with Christ. That's what he's wrestling with here. Verse 25, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Basically, he's saying it's better off for me to stay here in the flesh and to be a, a teacher, an example, uh, uh, an evangelist for you, for, the, for, for you, because I will come to you again. Then he gets to verse 27 and says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Okay? Paul said, whether, I'm, whether I can be with you or not, I want to hear that you are being faithful. I want to hear that you're being faithful to Christ, that you're living a life worthy of the gospel. You have this great gift, the gift that Jesus has given you. Now live worthy. Act like you deserve it. And that's what we're dealing with in Ephesians right at the same time, too. Um, One mind striving side by side for the faith in the gospel and not frightened in anything by by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Well, you know, he talked about that in Timothy, too. Well, that makes me kind of go, ouchie, I don't want to have to suffer. But that's what happens. That's what Paul's saying. Here I am in jail. I am suffering for the sake and the cause of Christ. But it doesn't matter. The, the, the message of Christ is getting out. Because I'm in jail. So he said, it doesn't matter. 
But he says uh, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Because in suffering for his sake, you will help spread the message. You will help spread the gospel. Um, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Okay, and with that, we come to the end of chapter 1. Now, when Paul was writing this letter, he didn't divide up the chapters. We did that. Scholars did that later on. But in these chapters, you will find that uh, each one has its own theme or has its own uh, part of the message. Uh, and chapter 1 that we've just gone through is basically life's purpose. Life's purpose being for me to live, in, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That is life's purpose, to spread the message of Christ. So next time, is whoever whoever's up here next, as they go into chapter 2, they will uh, expand on this and go on through it. Okay, let's... Uh, Chris, do you have a closing song? Okay, let's pray, and then Chris will come lead us in a song. Father, thank you for your word, and uh, just pray today that as we go from this place, we will go knowing that it is because of you, because of your grace, because of your love, that we have knowledge of you, we have knowledge of faith, and we have the gift of salvation, all because of what you've done for us. We just pray that as we go from this place today, we would go in peace and the grace of knowledge, knowing that you love us, care for us, and will watch over us until we come together again. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.